It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, and I hope that you're already having an amazing day. Um, This is where we do examine the connection between our spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and physical aspects of who we are as human beings. And before we get into our show today, um, I want to remind everybody that, you know, we're a quarter of the way through 2021, and I know that everybody learned a very valuable lesson in 2020, and that's the importance of taking responsibility for our own personal health and wellness. And if you go to my website, which is www.synergyconnectionradio.com, you're going to see a link to Boomers Forever Young, which is a world-class nutritional company. Um, They are one of the sponsors of the show. And one of their products in particular that I love using is Gladiator Barley, which takes the toxins out of our body, removes inflammation, and it also rebuilds muscle. And a lot of people don't realize that we lose 1% of our body mass muscle-wise every year after the age of 50. So by the time you're 60, you've lost 10%. By the time you're 70, you've lost 20%. And that is the reason that if you don't have muscle to hold up your skeleton, it's easier for people to fall and break hips and do other things that are damaging to their bodies after the age of 70. They don't have the muscle anymore. So go check out their products. There are blogs, there are testimonials, there are videos. A lot of wonderful information. You can sign up for their free newsletter. Um, Now, this morning I have with me Doug Warner. And Doug has been on my show a number of times now. I don't even know how many. I'm going to say five. I'm going to five, yeah. Yeah, at least. And um, he's a yoga and meditation teacher as well as a certified labyrinth facilitator. Licensed massage therapist. And a licensed massage therapist. Sorry about that. Um, And the thing about being a labyrinth facilitator, most people have no idea what that is, but I have done a labyrinth with you Mm -hmm. and it was so much fun. And it's kind of that walk that helps you go within and release things that you don't want to carry with you anymore and Mm -hmm. pick up something that you do want to take with you. Um, You can find him at Warner Healing Guidance, which is located in Largo, Florida. Um, but if you go to the website, I know you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings these days yeah. and you're teaching yoga that way and meditation that way. And of course, for those that are here in Pinellas County, they can come and visit you for a massage. They can. Again, I'm working, um, I, I work in Seminole. Uh, my my uh, office for massage therapy one-on-one stuff is in uh, Seminole, Florida. It's uh, yoga for all uh, slash serene body care. The best way to do this is email me at douglas at warnerhealingguidance.com. You can text me um, at 727-804-5356. I don't always give out my phone number, but that's my my business number. We can set up an appointment. We can do, um, obviously, um, in-person massage therapy, but I'm like, uh, Lucy, you were saying I I do a lot. I'm starting to do more and more one-on-one meditation classes, therapeutic yoga, uh, virtually um, in the studio and virtually so I'm doing a lot of different things there and also I am doing 
uh, periodic. I do a guided meditation once a month, mm-hmm. uh, virtually. It's a yoga. It call it, we call it a yoga nidra, and it's a it's a very old practice from the, uh, meditation practice from the yoga tradition. But it is a guided meditation, and the the idea is is that if you ever tried to do meditation and just felt like you didn't it didn't work for you, and I I, I look I'm going to hold my hand up here. How many failed meditators do we have around? Mm-hmm. I got one in my hand. My mm-hmm. hand is up, is because we all feel like in the beginning we're failing. So yoga nidra, it's hard. Meditation is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy at all, but if we understand it. And the, the yoga nidra is a, if we understand it, we can become better at it. And the yoga nidra is a really great place to jump in um, and, you know, try the water. Mm-hmm. So that's every, that's the first um, Friday of every month. Again, if you're interested and wherever you are, the best way to get, um, uh, you know, get the information for that is just go to Douglas at WarnerHealingGuidance.com, my email address, and open a dialogue with me and I'll, I'll guide you to, what, to the things I'm doing. And you're also doing energy work now. I do. I do. My my business through COVID and through everything that's happening, I'm doing. I'm getting. I'm doing a lot more um, body work. And interesting enough, I'm doing a lot more energy work. I've been trained in Reiki and therapeutic touch. Um, and Lucy and I had a really good conversation just before this session. We just came on the air about energy work and her experience with it, and my experience, and I think that we. Uh, we're very much on board with how that works. And actually, that's going to come up into play maybe in our conversation today. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. so. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, so we are going to kind of go down a road that talks about change. Mm-hmm. And that change is inevitable. Um, you know, there is the saying about, you know, the one thing you can count on in life is change. Right. Um, and we talked about that a little bit before the show started as well. But certainly... You know, we are born as infants in this baby virtual bodysuit, and it stretches and grows mm-hmm. and gets wrinkled over time. And, you know, if we live to be 100 uh, in a span of 100 years, our virtual bodysuit changes. Energetically, that changes to some degree because our experiences change. And so we can become more attuned to what the energy is around us, more mm-hmm. aware of it. Um, some people may never be attuned to it. You know, they just kind of go through life, and that's okay too because that's the path they're supposed to be on. Sure. But change happens, and I remember, you know, when I was um, a bereavement specialist, and that's what I did for years, uh, talking to funeral directors. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Chicago area, I would go there once or twice a year and meet with them, and I said, you know, when somebody dies, you know, the grief is intense. But we have grief throughout our lives. We are constantly losing things from baby teeth to, you know, leaving a bottle behind. Well, maybe taking another bottle down the road. (laughs) But the baby bottle, you know, leaving that behind, leaving a binky behind, um, leaving a baby bed that's very secure for the big boy or the big girl bed. So we are constantly giving something up, which is part of that change. So, you know, how do you see change in a a person's life? Because I think everybody views it slightly differently, Mm -hmm. but it's there. You know, there's no way that you can escape it. It's there. You know, I think that we are programmed as humans to be afraid of change. Mm -hmm. There was a a cartoon movie my, my granddaughter was watching. Was it called The Crudes? The Crudes? The Crudes? 
I think it well, was they the were cruds. caves. They yeah, were, they, I think the it was the cruds. cruds. Yeah. Okay, so they're the cruds. So they were cavemen, if you will. You know, kind of stereotypical. And there was one person, and I, I don't have the whole plot in my head because I didn't. I don't know if I watched the whole movie, but the premise was, you know, don't swim, don't don't do anything different. We're, this is the way we've always done it. Don't swim and upstream. Don't <laughs> swim upstream, like in, in even Moana in the mm-hmm. Disney movie Moana. Don't mm-hmm. go swim past the reef mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know it's you don't know what's out there. In, mm-hmm. in, so do things the way that seem to have been working, mm-hmm. and because change it brings you into potential danger and threat. Exactly. And I think that this is a survival mechanism. So first of all, if don't feel beat up or don't feel being attacked if you're saying, I don't like change. Because it is ingrained in us as humans, I think, at one level, to be very leery of change. Mm-hmm. Unless things really aren't working, then you're forced into change. Right. Which may be where we are now. Um on the other hand, it reminds me of a, a quote. I'm going to paraphrase this because I probably I may not be word for word, but Einstein said, "The mind that created the problem cannot be the same mind that solves the problem." Mm. So we need to change our mind if we personally are going. To if you caused the problem, yeah. If you created the problem because of a mindset or, or, or a paradigm that you're working from, mm-hmm. you have to change the paradigm in the mind to solve the problem. Right. Right. And I think that's that was a huge insight. I've, I've used that many, many times in just my own life and, you know, with students and what have you. You know, I'm going to bring in a little story on my son here, which kind of fits. But when he was about seven years old, he was, you know, his meat couldn't touch his vegetables, couldn't touch that's his That's my granddaughter. Is it? Well, no, it's my granddaughter yeah. right now. She's seven. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And, and so, you know, my only rule of thumb was you have to take one bite. I don't care if you eat it all, but you have to at least try it. And that was the introduction of, you know, new foods. And Mm -hmm. he was incredibly stubborn and would sit literally for hours refusing to to do this until bedtime. And then he would just go to bed. And now he is one of the most accomplished young chefs I know. (laughs) He is always trying, you know, new fresh herbs and a different way to do this. I mean, the other day he sent me a picture of... Pickled onions. Well, he wouldn't even touch an onion when he was, you know, a kid. Mm -hmm. And now he's pickling his own onions. And so I thought, you know, that is an example of this, that the mind, his mind had to change, that food was an adventure and not something to be, you know, like pushed away. Sure. And we, I think change, and we're we're talking about change because I think it's such a, it's a, it's a current topic. This last year has beat the snot out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Last year and a half with, mm-hmm. with COVID worldwide, it's still beating people up. I mean, you know, oh, God, God, bless in Indi- God bless the folks in India and around the world, and especially in third world countries that are just, they don't have the uh, resources we're doing, you know, we have. So COVID and, and all of the, not the financial, the social um, r- uh, ripples that have just gone through mm-hmm. everybody's lives, change has been thrust upon us. Whether we wanted it or not. Whether you wanted it or not. And you know, some of the thoughts that I've had, and I know other people have had them too, is how much of this, if we believe, which I do, in a higher power. You know, we have been told for years and years and years and years, you know, do something about the environment. Do something about, you know, understanding that everything is not for profit. Mm -hmm. You know, take care of your health in different ways. You know, Mm -hmm. whether it's through meditation and mindfulness or 
through you know some basic exercise like walking but you know being part of nature and you know we have ignored I would say is probably so when COVID came along we could no longer ignore some of it because we were forced to stay inside forced to distance ourselves but the environment began to improve even <laughs> just that little bit that we were doing made a difference and so you know is a part of it just the higher power saying you know you guys have been so stupid maybe we had to slap you upside the head and say do you get it now you know funny you said that because the slap upside the head i have a good friend of mine who's my it guy for a number of years and he was uh, i met him he came to, he came to yoga years ago years ago to uh, as part of his uh, he was recovering alcoholic he was going through aa and he came to yoga as part of his personal journey uh-huh. and i worked with him for for quite a while and then and he said one of the things they talk about in aa is you know, God, because God and the higher power is, uh-huh. is, is part of that program, apparently, um, is that, you know, God first speaks to you in a whisper, uh-huh. then a roar, and then with a two-by-four. <laughs> so I think we and got I the th- two-by-four. I think we just got the two-by-four. I think so. And I think, you know, and, and so we're being forced to change. Uh-huh. And it, I just to understand that this is this whole conversation is not a judgment on whether you're not, you are changing gracefully or you're not, it's to put it into an objective observation of change in the human condition. Why do we resist it? How do we embrace it? And what are some of the catalysts to make that happen? Mm -hmm. And then change versus constant. Because our perception of the world, our initial perception, our sensory perception, is that everything is in flux. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything's changing, you know, the, the seasons change and, you know, we get older, like you mentioned, you know, we, our bodies change and we were in talking ahead of, we were looking at numbers here, we were saying like 330 billion cells a day in our body, a day change, replenish, mm-hmm. you know, in 80 to 100 days, we're almost totally different people. Mm-hmm. And then we're saying, well, yeah, but the, the thing that keeps us the same is our DNA, Right. Right. No. No. Nope. <laughs> because DNA can be changed. Mm-hmm. Well, and we have telomeres on the end of our cells. Yep. And they shorten. And once they get to a point where they can't shorten any further, they die. Yep. So, you know, and that's part of our DNA. And so so, so this this brings us back to one of the things we talked about. A, what, what, what's the issue now? Navigating change. How do we navigate change? How do we put change into context of where we are now and where we're going? Mm-hmm. All right. um, and I and I want to just caveat this too: is not in any way to minimize or what do I want to say? Um, be disrespectful for those of you who have suffered, you know, with a loss of a family member, loved ones through COVID, mm-hmm. or loss of jobs and. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you've, the losses you've had have been real. And this is not to make light of or sit back in an ivory tower and look at change as something that, you know, hey, just get over it. This is not what that's about. Honor that. Um, and I, and I, I, I want to make that very clear because um, well, I, I, I've been pretty fortunate. I mean, my business has changed a little bit. I think, Lucy, your, cha- your business has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've been blessed. I haven't lost a loved one. I haven't lost a job yet. <laughs> yet. Um, but I know a lot of people have. So I'm, I'd like to just th- 
throw this out, this the stuff we're talking about tonight today, um, is how do we deal with this change? Sometimes that change is painful. Mm-hmm. In fact, the two most traumatic experiences in the human's life is what? Birth, Birth and death. And death. Mm-hmm. Huge changes, folks. Mm-hmm. Think about, I mean, think of the trauma that you went through being born if you just had a normal birth, let alone a surgical intervention or something else. You went from nine months of being kumbaya in this little warm environment, and you got thrust into a new world Mm. where you had to actually breathe differently. Right. Get your food differently. Get your food differently. Get your nutrients differently. You're experiencing the world differently. Huh. I wonder if that's something like death. It might be. It might be. It yeah. might be. We're, but that's a traumatic, because you had to let go being born. You had to let go. Mm-hmm. And people have to let go when they die. And they have to let go when they die. So maybe thinking about it is that, and, and from a, as I teach yoga philosophy and some of this other stuff I do, oh, well, we do too. Um, what are we, What what's the, it, change is the word. But to navigate change, what is it we have to do to navigate change effectively? And I believe it's let go. You can't move forward unless you let go, mentally, emotionally, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, if you're still hanging on to that, into the womb, you're not going to get born. Right, right. <laughs> and if you don't get born, then you're going to have a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, physically, it's right. not going to be a good thing. Well, from the mother or the baby. <laughs> Nobody's going to be happy yeah, with that. No. And going out, I worked with, you, you've talked about bereavement, and I worked mm-hmm. with hospice as an 11th hour um, transitions volunteer for seven years, um, being with people who died, were dying, you know, in their, their last hours. And I did that as a, I didn't do it because I was a great person or anything like that. I did it for me. I did that as a meditation. It was a death meditation mm-hmm. for me because I, I wanted to, I wanted to be there mm-hmm. because I want to understand. That. So that's talk about the biggest change. You might not remember being born, but you know, the death thing is it. it. So everything in between birth and death, huge changes. We bookend the human experience with change, mm-hmm. dramatic change. Do you think that it's not going to have a string of change through the middle? From the story is the story. Is the story, yeah. And how do we navigate it? Do we understand it? How do we how do we do with that? And you know, it was interesting because uh, another aspect of change is that change we resisted, and we talked about that as being you know just genetically human change. I don't know, I don't know. Well, I mean, even look at uh, the baby boomers right now. Mm. You know, because there's so many of us that are in that you know category, but. You know, change for a lot of baby boomers is about the physical. So we have Peladine. You know, we have a lot of people that are, you know, becoming exercise buffs because they don't like the way their body is becoming. Or the makeup industry, or Botox, or, you know. Or all the genetic, mm-hmm. all, the, 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 all the things, you know, the, what do you call it, the facelift thing, all mm-hmm, that stuff people mm-hmm. do. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Again, nothing wrong with that if you, you do it. But what are you holding on to? Right. And what are you afraid of? And what are you afraid of? Uh-huh. Because change is inherently linked with fear. Mm-hmm. It is, because it's the unknown. And fear yeah. of the unknown is, I mean, we could, I, I'm just, I'm, my head is going into another category here, but really, there is no way to have true courage unless you're facing fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. 
And what's happening for so many individuals right now is a concept that uh, there, there's two words, and they both start with R, and one is resiliency. Yep. You know, we all have to become a lot more resilient than we thought we were able to be. And the other is a reinvention of who we are as people. Reinvent ourselves. Gosh, well, you and I both have, have a history mm-hmm. uh, professionally and personally of reinventing ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, and, and you, that's awesome. It's awesome that you can do that, but it's really hard to do. It is. It can be really hard. And when it's, if you do it voluntarily, it has one flavor, but when it's thrust upon you, circumstances, you know, come down the, and you, you're not in control, it takes a lot. But I think that in order to embrace change brings out the human element. And I, and this is a whole, this may be a whole nother show. What does it mean to be human? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it, in order to embrace change, especially when you're not choosing it, requires courage. Right, right. And hope. And these, and the opposite of hope is despair. Right. And a lot of spiritual traditions, despair is the greatest sin. Hmm. Is despair. And because that means you don't have faith. Well, it means you don't have faith, but also you haven't you haven't dug deep enough to really connect with how things work. You know, hmm. we, we've talked about some of this, and actually, synergy synchronicity, these kinds of things. We start to experience these things. Mm-hmm. When you have direct experience of synergetic, synergetic, synergetic connections and synchronicity and serendipity, these big words that we talk about, and you start to open yourself to those, those are, I believe, the things, those direct experiences give us the courage to embrace change. Right, right. Uh, you and I have talked about the fact that I see orbs every place mm-hmm, anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, which is kind of unique. Um, not everybody gets to see them, I guess. But um, I, I have found that once I started seeing them, if I say, okay, you know, I'm going to take a picture, I'd like for you to, you know, show yourself, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, that they are there. And I think that is, again, you know, being open to um, being guided, you know, that if we can believe that we are here for a purpose. You know that our life has meaning mm-hmm. and then when change does happen because it will inevitably then it allows you to say okay I am being guided you know my angels my guides my higher purpose is going to show me the path that I should go down that takes courage you know because you are leaving maybe something that's very familiar and going in a direction that you've never gone before but, you know, nevertheless, if yeah. you believe that there is something greater than you, whatever that belief might be, um, then you know that you're, you're going where you're supposed to go. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And this is something we talked about, um, we've talked about um, off, off show a number of times and on show. Um, and, and one of the concepts one of the foundational concepts, I think, of every spiritual tradition. Um, and I teach it vis-a-vis the yoga tradition, but I, I found it. I grew up in a Catholic environment, and I've studied other things, and you have too. Um, you see it everywhere. Um, the old yogis, I'll just go with what we were talking about. The old yogis 5,000-plus years ago um, asked 
sort of the big question. There was a lot of questions. We have to wonder, <laughs> what's the meaning of the universe? What, 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 who am I? What am I supposed to do? Blah, blah, blah. And this was after they were sitting on rocks for a long time. Well, sitting on rocks for a long time. <laughs> right, right, right. And loincloths. If we're not loincloths, I don't know. So um, they kind of boiled. They came down with what I call the super question. Uh-huh. The one question that would inform all the other questions that they had. Because the one question I can, if I can get the answer to this one thing, then that's going to kind of inform all the other stuff I got, all the other questions I have. Mm-hmm. And the question they came up with was, is there, because they looked around the world like we're talking now, they looked around their lives, they looked around the, the world, and everything was in flux, everything was in change, Every, you know, the seasons and death and life and all this stuff, everything changed. And the question was, I mean, the, the, the reason for the question was, where's my rock? Where's my, how can I be grounded? If everything's in change, mm-hmm. what's my platform for making the right decisions? What is my platform for right action? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the question is, was, is there something in the universe that is not in flux? Is there a constant? And? And in the yogis were not alone with this in deep meditation. And you see this reflected both. You can look if you really read the Old Testament, if you really read the New Testament, if you really read the uh, the Quran, if you really read some of the, the you know the sutras from book, you start to see everybody kind of comes up with the same ideas in deep meditation, contemplation, that they identify, they connect with that. Yeah, not intellectually. It was not an intellectual event. It was an intuitive um, consciousness event that there is a constant in the universe. There is something, if you think about the center of a hurricane, here we are in Florida, Mm -hmm. coming into hurricane season, the center doesn't move. Right, it's calm. It's calm. Mm -hmm. But all around the center is flux and change and chaos. Turmoil. Turmoil. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it, have that visual for yourself. is that at the center there is an unchanging constant reality now and for in the yoga tradition they called it brahman that's b r a h m a n godhead if you want to translate it into english you know the the prophets of israel they called it yahweh uh, in in the some of the chinese tradition they called it the tao t a o um you know, God the Father. There's whatever tradition. It, it is Wakantanka if you're in the Lakota tradition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so there's this identity. There's this identifying that as we navigate human experience, we see change, we see fluctuation. It causes all sorts of oof, chaos. But is there something that's not changing? And so the so the yogis said, yeah, there is Brahman. And they're going to go two steps further with this. Two steps further. I talked about this in one of the other shows. Is, okay, there is a constant. How does that help me? Because they realize that that constant, that unchanging reality, is actually manifested in every human. It's the core of who we are. So in essence, we are a little hurricane. At the core of who we are is that calm center. Now all the you know our body and our all thoughts and our emotions they're all in chaos and swirling around like your hurricane, but at that center is peace and calm. So I'm gonna come in here and give a statistic that most people who are listening have no idea about. 
and I think you and I have talked about it, but 95% of our waking days is spent intellectually reasoning. Mm. And so we never con, you know, we're never in touch and uh, contact with that intuitive part of us. So if we have 30 million brain cells in our heart and in our gut, then if we go to our intuitive center when we need to answer a question, rather than intellectualizing and trying to figure it out with who said what and when did they say it and where can I go read about it, if we can just go within, and we hear that term all the time, that going within gives us our true compass. That is where we are. Absolutely. Most calm, and we know. We know that we know. Um, you know, and a lot of people refer to that as the knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know, the only time we get there most of the time is when we go to bed. So we will think things through in our intuitive center as we sleep, mm-hmm. and we may even wake up with the answer. But then we begin to question it again. We do because we don't remember the process, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna take first of all. 100, bingo, I'm going to just say bingo, 110% of what you're saying is, is right where we're going here. And I'm going to just go back to the beginning when I talked about yoga nidra, guided meditation that I teach. Mm-hmm. The whole point of that particular meditation is to guide you into that state of consciousness where you're connecting with mm-hmm. your intuitive consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's a process of stripping away your sensory input. And But like you said, when we wake up, we, we question what we came up with because we don't remember the process of doing it. Right. But the, the nidra is a, a designed to bring you into that state of intuitive consciousness where you made that decision, where mm-hmm. you came up with that enlightened enlightenment. Right. But you remember, you didn't lose consciousness. You stayed relaxed and alert through the whole process. Right. And you trusted. You and trusted, trusted that be- was the answer. And you trusted because there wasn't a lapse uh-huh. of awakeness. There wasn't a lapse of consciousness. Uh-huh. But the point, the, the primary point, I think what you're making is, is that we have access to that, that changeless reality within ourselves. It is our, it's that pool that we can drink from where we get, where, where we actually tap into what we call wisdom, uh-huh. right action. It's where, you know, you say, I, I can't get in, in spiritus, we're inspired. This is where inspiration comes from. Right, right. This is where creativity comes from. This is where love comes from. The intellect is not capable of love. I'm sorry, folks. You may be thinking, he's crazy. No, I agree. <laughs> but the intellect is not capable of love. Now, you can, you can determine a romantic relationship or a love relationship, whether it's, you know, agape, you know, whether it's, you know, universal love of all brothers and sisters, uh, romantic love, whatever. But it, it, the intellect can not be your vehicle for love. The intellect and the emotions are neither one of those are capable of, because the, the emotions, the thoughts and emotions are part of the intellect, mm-hmm. cerebral cortex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not where it comes from. It comes from that, what you called, you know, that, that you talked about the neurons and the heart and the gut, mm-hmm. you know, that gut feeling, that heart feeling, that heart knowing. That you just know. That you just know. And the problem is, is that we've discounted that. Mm-hmm. We, in our culture, it, it's like, oh, psh, and I'm going to say this, and this, this may, I'm not meant saying this to offend people, but this is not faith. Mm-hmm. This is knowing. 
Mm-hmm. Faith is what you need in the absence of knowing. Right, right. And, and in the beginning, in the beginning, you have to have a little faith to even embark on a journey to tap into something. Right? Because it goes against. It goes against everything. Everything we've ever been taught. Um, in a show a couple of uh, times ago, I mentioned the fact that um, Dr. Bruce Lipton points out, mm-hmm. Greg Norman um, points out, or uh, Greg Braden, excuse me, um, points out that we, from the third trimester, so, you know, month seven, eight, and nine, when we're still in utero, we begin to intellectualize. That's when the brain is forming mm-hmm. and we're getting all of the feedback through moms and what we're hearing and what's going on in the world outside of where we are. And then for the next seven years, we are taking that information into us and that is how we base all future learning on. Is, is That's the way we learn. So we just keep reaching out for more books, more movies, more television shows, more something to tell us, you know, this is the way the world operates. But how do you ever get to just that knowing unless you go within? You and, can't get there. And this is this is this is the, the practice. This becomes the practice, the spiritual practice, with the yoga practice, I mean the, the, the contemplative practice for whatever whatever system you're in. This is the vision quest. This mm-hmm. is this is all of that is not it it's connecting the in and the out. And I so I was talking about those those observations from the yogis, right? Mm-hmm. So they the deep meditation. They observed, okay, there is a constant. Okay, observation number two, that constant is with uh, within us. It's it. We all have that little center of calm within the hurricane of our own being. That's why they did sweat lodges with the native. Yes, Americans. they did exactly. <clears throat> and in in the yoga tradition, they call that center in you, you know, mm-hmm. the divine in you, that constant in you. It's mm-hmm. called the Atman. In other traditions, they call it the soul. Um, these types of, you know, there, there's other words, but you, you, I think you all understand you have some, some a familiarity with those terms, right. at least soul or the spirit within you, right? And the big tamale is the third observation. And what it lose concerned with the, what is the meaning of life? There is no meaning. Uh-huh. Because, and then all of is going to go, oh my gosh, there's no meaning, we're in Canada. Oh, <laughs> aliens are going to come and get us or something. No, it, the meaning, because the word meaning is directly related to an intellectual process. process. Right. The purpose, purpose is what we're looking for. The right. purpose of life, of your individual life, of human life, is to, this is to connect with, Find ways to connect practices mm-hmm. or life. How connect with that intuitive consciousness, that spirit, that soul self, right? And eventually, progressively, live out of that. Right. That becomes your. That becomes your compass. Not the head knowing, but the heart knowing becomes your compass, and that's that is what we're designed to be doing. And of course, that then oh is like, well, wait a minute, isn't that where love comes from? And was yeah. So we want to live a mm-hmm. wise, loving life. Right. And we're, we want our decisions to be guided not by the fluctuations of the intellect, the uh-huh. hurricane, the swirling around, but right. we want to be informed by the center of calm and peace. Right. And so that's and that's to be in the world, not of the world. Mm-hmm. I've got one foot. You know, there's a there's a great here in um, here in uh, where we are here in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. We have a great radio station, uh, WMNF. Um, 
and they have a program, uh, Native American music and commentary, on Sunday nights, and it's called Two Worlds. Hmm. And it's the two worlds. This is what we're talking about: being in the world and not of the world. It's you've got one foot in this world, mm-hmm. but you've got your other foot in the spiritual world. Right. And every step you take, you, you're da- you're dancing. It's a dance. It is a dance. It's mm-hmm. a dance. Mm-hmm. Um, as if you were totally not part of the world, it would be difficult for you to go to the store, you know, cook. Yeah, you got to look, yeah, guys. I mean, you got we got to cook. We got to fix the carburetor. Yeah, right. We got to you know log onto the computer. Right. You got the brain, the intellect has a lot of great things it does. Our five senses, they're here for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay. But decision making a lot of times does need to be an internal process and not an external. Right. If you're trying to figure out what screwdriver to use. Flathead or, a, or Phillips, <laughs> you don't need to go into meditation. <laughs> right. Just figure it out, right? right. Um, if you, okay, whatever it is. How do I log on to the computer? Or how do I get? How do I Google this? All that kind of stuff we do. That's intellectual stuff. But when you're doing the big stuff, the big stuff, mm-hmm. then you know do, what big decisions. That's where you have to have another way of knowing. I need to go to another place. You know what? I don't think I'm going to Google this one. Yeah. I think I'm going to go into another place. You know, one of the things that people can do when they're faced with change, um, and I know a lot of people don't like to write, yeah. so they could probably, you know, maybe get a little recorder and just dictate, you know, into the recorder and listen to it a yeah. couple of times. But um, that whole process of writing from your soul, yeah. you know, coming from within to without. And I tell people when they start to do something like that, even if you were dictating it, um, what happens is, you know, we're not used to consulting with our internal being, especially not during the daytime hours. Mm -hmm. And so here you are sitting at a desk maybe, and you're saying, okay, I want to know what my soul thinks about reinventing myself in this area. Or, you know, what is my next path? What is my next direction that I need Mm -hmm. to be taking? And so they'll sit there and nothing will come. And what happens is until you've done it a few times, it's like your soul is so used to not being asked that it kind of goes, yeah, right, you're not going to listen to me. You know, why should I bother to tell you anything? <laughs> and you've, well, you've, you've numbed your ability to hear. Mm-hmm. You're right. not, you know, it's, exactly. it's like, exactly. it, you, we're, not, we're, not, we're not programmed, we haven't programmed ourselves or we've numbed out to actually listening to who we are. To who we are. Yeah. I have a, a little story. I have a good friend of mine um, years ago when I was in the army, and he had been, um, he was a Japanese linguist, and he had been um, stationed in Okinawa. And he tells a story of, <clears throat> and this is just a listening story, mm-hmm. so it's just a little side note. And he was, uh, he, he was, he was a fluent Japanese speaker, okay? So he's in a train station in Okinawa, and he's, um, there's an elderly um, Japanese man sitting on the bench, and he's, he goes to ask the man for directions. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the train or something and the man just looked at him wide-eyed like he totally didn't hear him and my buddy his name was Andrew and Andrew said I thought to himself oh my gosh all right I'm going to say it again I'm going to try to reframe it because maybe my Japanese isn't really good so he says it a couple different times and finally the, the man said and finally Andrew said hey I am so sorry my Japanese was really not very good but and the old man stopped him and said no wait a minute he said in Japanese your Japanese is perfect I was listening with my eyes, not my ears, because he saw a Caucasian and was not expecting Fluent Japanese. Japanese to come out from oh, a Caucasian. So gosh. he judged out. Yes. 
So talk about listening. I'm going to give you another story. That I love this. And I got this. Uh, there was a movie, a uh, documentary kind of thing. Uh, what the Bleep Do We Know? Did you ever see that? I did see it. Okay, so in that movie, and I've, I've, kind, of, I've kind of verified this story through another source or two, uh-huh. but the story that they tell in that, and this is about perceptions and judging out and listening. And listening. And really listening with another, or seeing the world with another set of eyes. Uh-huh. So allegedly, when Columbus and the three ships, you know, came to the Caribbean and came to, now I'm gonna I'm gonna say Hispaniola because I know that was the first island. Uh-huh. So we'll just go with Hispaniola. If it was another island, then I made a mistake. Go with it. It's the story is the story. Uh-huh. And the the uh, the natives on the island. Now you got these three ships. They're not aircraft carriers, but they're, they're pretty, pretty big ships. Yeah. <laughs> and they're in this little bay, and they're and they anchored for a couple days before they did anything. The natives didn't see it. Now you got these ships with the big sail with the red cross on them and you, okay. But the natives, the people, the average person couldn't see the ships. Because they'd never seen it before. (laughs) But the shaman, Mm -hmm. who was used to seeing things from another perspective, who was open to this, he saw the ships and he had to instruct and teach the people how to see the ships that were in front of him in the bay. Uh-huh. Now, unfortunately, that didn't turn out well for them. No. <laughs> okay, but the point is, is that we're, it's another way of knowing. It's another way of seeing. We have to, we have to expand ourselves to adapt to change. Now, part of the problem that happens, you know, th- there's a whole history of change right there. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it, that's just a, a traumatic history, an unfortunate history. But in order to manage change in order to to roll with it i think we do need a sense of a constant mm-hmm. i think if we develop a sense and a perception of that constant and realize that we can fu- we can, can do i have to be on the periphery of this hurricane getting thrown around with all this debris or can i find myself draw myself to the center and that's what all the practices is what we're talking mm-hmm. all the things we've been talking about is to find a way to sit calmly in the center of that hurricane well that's where you can gain perspective you gain perspective and you can catch your breath i well, mean you know for most people they do feel like for the last year and a half they have just been tossed around yep. and life has happened to them as opposed to feeling like wait a minute i can you know, begin to, you know, maybe self-monitor, self-control how I respond to life. That's it right there. You just said it. Mm -hmm. You just said it. That's the key word. Can I respond versus react? Mm -hmm. I can't change everything that's happening around me, but the one thing we have control over is how we respond. Mm -hmm. It may not, what's happening may not be happy, may not be what we think we need. Right. But do we know what we need? And see, that's the other thing is I think we think we know what we need, but a lot of times we don't, you know. And if you go within, you know, how many times, I'm? it happens to me a lot, but how many times have you maybe experienced where somebody said, oh, Doug, this is what you need to do. Yep. And then they go off, you know, like you can do this and this and this. And, you know, you have to make that decision by going within, is this in my best interest? Is this really what my purpose is? And am I being guided to do that? Or is this somebody else's external vision of who I am and where I need to go? Oh, that is so much. I 
I mean, think about it. How many, how many times in our lives, you know, but your, your parents want you to be something. My parents wanted me to be a lawyer. That never happened. Okay. <laughs> you would have been a good one. <laughs> I may have been a, I don't know. I don't know, but it didn't. You could have been a Morgan and Morgan. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh God. But, um, every, yeah, everyone else is, and this is kind of one of those things we, we you know, and I, everyone else has got their idea of what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's really interesting if you think about this. We seem to have the best advice on what other people should do for change. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you need to do this. You need to do that. Mm-hmm. But we can't seem to apply that to ourselves. Well, that's because we're in our heads doing it. We're in our, our heads, hearts. exactly. <laughs> so intellectually, it's a lot easier for me to give you advice on what you should be doing. Right. And how you should change what you should be doing. Think right. about relationships, folks. How often are we trying to change the other person? Mm-hmm. How, but this goes back to the thing we just did, the the three part series of podcast we just did. Right. Um, we're trying to change everything but ourselves. Right. Interesting thing, just just a little. I'm just kind of going off on a tangent here. Think about all the species on the planet. They don't normally try to change their environment when they need to change. They internally change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only humans change the external environment to meet their current state. Mm-hmm. We do make some internal changes. I mean, they, it, it happens, clearly. We've, in quotes, evolved. But, you know, whales and dolphins and all these other different animals you think about, you look at their, oh, look at that. Over just a few generations, they developed a fin instead of an arm. Right. Well, I mean, look at a frog, a tadpole. Look, my, oh, my God, a tadpole. And so nature is encouraging internal change Mm -hmm. to meet, instead of changing the environment to meet you, you change you to meet the environment. Maybe that's why humans have been put here, is to observe nature. As our greatest teacher. Yeah, and then begin to figure it out, like, okay, I'm not doing the best job here, and if I observe nature, I'll see what I need to do. Right, because I'm, if I'm trying to change everything else around me Mm -hmm. to meet my imbalanced place right now, Mm -hmm. something's wrong, folks. (laughs) <laughs> something's wrong something's wrong the, yeah. the change look at the, the, look at nature nature changes internally a plant an animal they'll change themselves to meet the greater design mm-hmm. and maybe we need to be learning from that and how because they're changing right Right. every species is changing in something you know farmers I mean you know 100 years ago 150 years ago farmers knew I mean that's why we have the farmer's almanac but they knew based upon the seasons, the moon, you know, when to expect water. Of course, everything has changed because of the environment now, the mm-hmm, climate changes. Mm-hmm. I just heard, I think yesterday, that this area that we live in is a whole degree and a half warmer now mm. than it was 10 years ago. Wow. And all you have to do is drive any place here, and you've got new roads, new highways, expanded this, expanded that. Places where it was, you know, country and cattle and not much else now have, you know, thousand unit apartment buildings, you know, that are there. So, yeah, we are taking the natural cooling ability of our planet and covering it with concrete and blacktop and buildings where we're not going to have that option. But I think that, you know, the key here has been for probably the last couple hundred years is we just need to stop. We need to stop, go within, find our compass, our own internal compass, and then chart our way 
you know, into whatever our future looks like. Because the change, it is, it's here. You know, we can't avoid it anymore. It is actually here. The change is here. You know, you're saying something that um, it reminds me of a conversation I just had. And it's a, another little bit of a tangent here on change. But not so much. Um, the idea of what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. And, I, and because I, I think that when we're talking about change and we're talking about the human proclivity to change the things around them to meet their current state instead of internally changing to meet, you know, where's your paradigm? Mm-hmm. What paradigm are you trying to meet? And what does it mean to be human? And I was saying, because we were, I was talking with some students about, you know, all this, and we're going to Mars, and we've got, you know, all the stuff we're doing with Mars. And I said, you know, if a baby is born sometime in the future on Mars, is that baby a human? Mm, or a Martian. What are they? I... Cont- well, we refer to ourselves as earthlings. <laughs> exactly. Or human, uh-huh. coming from the Latin humus, which means mm-hmm. earth, dirt. Earth, yeah. I say, I say that, and this is going back to me, now I'm kind of going into my earth-centered, maybe pagan mindset, which is okay too, mm-hmm. um, and saying we are defined by earth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're not human. We're defined by Earth. Earth is that paradigm. Now you can look at, you know, spiritually we can look at Earth, but you don't have to go beyond Earth to find spirituality. You need to go to it. Right, right. And, and we're part of that. But we, we always have the sense that we're something different. You know, again, I, I, going back to Native Americans, they have always known that. Of course, um, all Aboriginal you know, people, Native yeah. peoples across the world. Yeah. They, they get it. They get it, and we have missed it. Well, and it's it, it's a cultural paradigm, and I think this is where, if you want to look at, you know, you can look at things as metaphors, which I, the Garden of Eden could be a metaphor, a meta, you know, a metaphorical story. You know, it could be um, a parable, if you will. That you know, we didn't we didn't get thrown out of the garden. We threw God out of the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, we we detached ourselves from our intuitive consciousness, our intuitive connection with nature, mm-hmm. and we went into the intellectual approach. Mm-hmm. I can make it better. I can do it better. You know, by the way, Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree of um, knowledge. There is another tree in the garden. Go look it up if there's a tree of wisdom. Isn't it interesting? And they didn't eat, they they didn't didn't eat, eat from, from the tree yeah. from the tree of knowledge, not from the tree of wisdom. wisdom. Very, so, very so insightful. It, yeah. So it doesn't mean that, you know, the knowledge, you know, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But the point is being human and understanding the human condition. I think we're really kind of like just scaling into this, dealing with change. Yeah, change is happening. And how do we, how do we navigate change? Well, are we always trying to change? We re- what do we really need to work on? We need to work on changing ourselves mm-hmm. if we need to adapt adaptability adapt huge. and that goes back to what you're talking about is yeah. is um you the know resilience the resilience is we we have to change ourselves we have to change our thinking the einstein thing you, you know the mind that created the problem can't be the same mind that solves the problem mm-hmm. we're constantly trying to change everything around us and look what we did look how we screwed that up right right 
But it doesn't mean that it's hopeless. No. At all. I just think that, you know, now is the time. We, we finally have reached a point, maybe in the human race, to become human. You know, to really um, understand that we coexist, you know, with our environment, with each, each other, you know, with, um, you know, who we are. I mean, we, we have to really and truly step back. To become one, but do it consciously, not just instinctively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about you get the right answer in deep sleep, mm-hmm. but you don't, you don't trust it at the end. Mm-hmm. But if we, can, if we can come to a place of connecting with our constant and navigate the change and say, I now know how to make, I know how to determine right action. Right. And instead of just doing it, what we call instinctively, we can do it cognizantly. Right. That might be our heritage, is right. to dance the dance with both ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, if you're making a decision between a Phillips screwdriver and a flathead, you know, <laughs> you don't need to... Yeah, uh, don't waste your time. You, yeah, but um, I think if you can wake up and realize that you've solved whatever the issue is and that you're at peace with it, Go ahead and write it down. Oh yeah, uh, you you talked about this. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I really think what you were saying was awesome. Is about journaling. I call it. You know, we call it journaling. Mm-hmm. Whether you do it like you said, a recording. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like to write. Um, I encourage that a lot with uh, students. I said when you do meditation, you do any of these things. It's the act of journaling that's important to me. Now the way I do it. Now I mean, the way you have people mm-hmm. do it might have you have different. And being a mental health professional. You may have a different approach to it, but um, the act of writing something down is, it's a catharsis. Mm-hmm. It's getting something from the inside, the inside out. bringing it out, putting it there, and the way you perceive it when it's on the end of you, and then you put it down on paper or however you did it, mm-hmm. then you process it back in with a different part of your brain. Exactly, exactly. And you're not seeing, you're seeing things a little more objectively. Mm-hmm. I like just shining light on something. Right. So I really, that's a great, that's a great thing to, to guide people towards is that, whether it's a recording, uh, a journal, writing. I've had people uh, journaling with crayons and paper. Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, what do you call it, Play-Doh. Sometimes people are a little more, you know, sculptor, drawing oriented. Um, but that is a great, I think that's a great connection to that intuitive consciousness. It is. It I mean, is. and I'm sure you've 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 done a lot of that, you, you know, in your in your practice, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I I think sometimes because we process so much of our life through our five senses, you've got you know the internal coming out, but now you're processing it uh, through what you see and the act of writing itself. So that's a you know a physical, it's a touch mm-hmm. thing, and so you know, and sometimes. People will all even suggest that they read it back to themselves mm-hmm. so that it's being processed through their ears. Mm-hmm. So the taste, you know, is, is going to go away and the smell is going to go away. But they'll have three different avenues of processing information that will be there through those three senses. And that cements it. It kind of takes it and puts it into long-term storage instead of short-term memory. And so we can actually go back and think, yes, I, I did feel that, you know, I put it down, it makes sense, I know I'm in touch with my heart center, my intuition is leading me. 
and it gives I think most people a sense of um, peace if you will mm -hmm. you know that they know they're doing their purpose they know they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're less likely to you know let other people sway them mm -hmm. you know it, it gives me just um, just I know we're coming towards the end here but mm -hmm. one of the things that you're talking about you know, we're, we're reflecting back and observing all these things mm -hmm. And I always ask the question to my students, who's observing? Yeah, are you observing you? Who's observing in the thoughts? Mm -hmm. Who's observing in your emotions? Mm -hmm. What part of you is, is the observer? Right. Is it, it, the eye can't see itself. Right. The knife can't cut itself. Right, right. So there's another set of eyes, if you will, right. metaphorically, that you're connecting with, and it's like, there's Doug, oh, there's anger. Instead of saying, I, and I, in meditation, I, when we, we start to look at things, I said, instead of saying to yourself, I'm angry, are you? Or are you witnessing anger? That's very true. Because, because the I am not anger. Right, no. I am not anger. Right. But I am seeing that in one part of myself, anger is being manifested. Right. All of a sudden, you have shifted consciousness. Right. The, you're, you're starting to get into that eye of the hurricane observer point and looking at the hurricane which is the fluctuations of all of everything that you're you know your anger your this I'm happy I'm sad I'm I'm, I'm afraid I'm da, 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 da. but who is observing that it's another part of you right. it's like wait a minute can I that's kind of like being in an easy chair and kind of just watching the show go by right and you have the option to actually turn it off you know, if you if you're doing that, you can say that isn't who I want to be. And there's right? a very old old mantra in yoga, and um, I'm not going to give you the Sanskrit, but it is, I am not that. Mm -hmm. I am not that. I'm observing something, because in the deep meditation, part of the the goal is to connect with that objective observer, which is this that that center of the hurricane, the calm center, mm -hmm. watching the, the, the parade go around and looking at that parade and going, am I that? I'm not that. I'm experiencing this right now. This part of me is experiencing this. Mm -hmm. called the ego self. Okay. My personality is experiencing anger, sadness, happiness, blah, blah, blah. But that's not who you but are. But that's not who I am. Right. So if you can just get away from saying, I'm angry, I'm a type A, I'm a type B. Hmm. I might argue that. I said part of you might exhibit those things. Okay. But because, you always have a choice. But you always have a choice. And so if you objectively observe that, then you start to see that that change mm -hmm. is around you. Mm -hmm. And you've got that anchor in the center to say, okay, I can do this. So as we pull our show to a close, I think that's a great place for us to end because it is... The show has been about change, but the change is your choice to make, and it's something that you can do effectively, more effectively, if you learn to go within and be the observer and choose the things that are going to be the best for you as you change. You know, let nature guide you, let your internal thoughts guide you, as opposed to anything that's external. Absolutely. Uh, you, you summed it up. Perfectly. All right. Tell people how they can reach you again, please. 
Sure, the best way to reach me, if you want to ask a question or whatever, just find out what I'm doing or how I could possibly help you in any way or, you know, inter uh, interact with you, Douglas, D-O-U-G-L-A-S, at warnerhealingguidance.com. That's my email address. That is the 100% way to get in touch with me. You can also go to the, my website is um, obviously www.warnerhealingguidance.com, and you can uh, you can get tap into, I've got a YouTube channel where you can tap into some videos. If you're a YouTube person, youtube.com backslash Douglas Warner. That's my YouTube channel. I think I've got about 50 videos there that kind of talk about some of the stuff we're talking about today, or a lot of it actually. You've, mm -hmm. you've seen some of it. Mm -hmm. um, that's another place to go. Yeah. Right. And then I can, I can guide you from there. I'm not going to give you all the, you know, give you a schedule of my classes or anything. Just get a hold of me. Let's open a dialogue and I'll, I'll take you down the road. Awesome. And I can't thank you enough for joining me again. And I know you'll be back in another three months. So. Thank you, Lucy. It's awesome. Uh, um, just as a reminder, if you decide that you want to order anything on Boomer's website, Boomer's Forever Young, if you use my name in the discount code, L-U-C-Y, you'll get $5 off of each and every order. And um, I hope you go and check them out. It is our responsibility to stay healthy, not just emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, but also physically. Thanks again for joining me and make this your very best life. Bye guys. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.